Praise the Lord. I, uh, I've always admired your pastor. I knew that he was a mighty man of God and very bold, and then I really realized how bold he was when he asked me to minister here today. <laughs> uh, to my knowledge, he has never ever heard me speak at all, to my knowledge and everything, and so to turn over a service, a Sunday morning service, instead of a Wednesday night or a Thursday night service to a kind of a stranger, so to say, even though we're not strangers. Do you know there is no stranger in the Lord? It's just brothers and sisters that haven't met yet. Yeah. See, we're family here. And, and one thing I uh, love about this church, I, I get the privilege of coming over here every third Saturday of the month and minister at the Cowboy Church out here at uh, Powell Butte. And then I stay overnight at the Hershey Hilton. And, uh, and I come in here and get charged up to get back over the mountain and everything. So I love coming. To, if I was anywhere near this area, this was where I'd be parked. Because this is a word church. And because it's a word church, it puts a lot of pressure on me. Because I know that you will recognize error because you have been taught well. And one thing I, I tell Pastor Jerry, I said, Jerry, I wish one time you'd just cut loose and not hold back. I love his, I love his style. I love his ministry. And I trust his faith. And I want to share something about faith. Brother Gary, here I just met this week, uh, Thursday actually. The, uh, I didn't know where we, we have a big tent that uh, the family wanted to use for the wedding last night. And the tent's bigger than this room here by quite, quite a, it takes quite a bit to get it up. And uh, it takes a lot of stress on the, the stakes that you drive in the ground to hold a tent that size up, you know. So we have stakes about three feet tall, and you drive them in the ground at least two feet, minimum of two feet, to hold that in case a wind or something comes up. Well, so I go out there, and I was, you know, I seen the place. I was, man, this is beautiful. The lawn is fabulous and everything. So I was talking to uh, Gary about driving the stakes in. I said, I want to make sure we don't hit any of your water sprinkler underlying deals because we've got to drive these stakes in the ground about two feet. He goes, well, it ain't going to happen. He said, you, it's only got about this much dirt, the rest of it's solid rock. <laughs> and I, I just thought, oh, my God, you know. Because if I would have knew that, I would have told Jerry, it won't work. We can't do it. We've got to find someplace else or get you some other deal. It won't work. But it was too late. We were there. The tent was there. The wedding's here. So I told Jerry, we got to pray. we got to pray. Because some of them stakes were sticking out of the ground. The tops were this high when it's supposed to be this high. And, we, and another thing, I have many times we set that tent up, I've never been able to do it without scratching grass when we're pulling up those big poles. There's a lot of weight and a lot of power. And we basically did it without tearing up the backyard and everything. So I knew that Jerry was a man of great faith and everything. So the tent is still up. Praise God. It's been up since, since uh, Thursday. And that's a miracle of the Lord that we just want to give him praise. So. One of the things I want to just share with you so you kind of know who's speaking to you today. Is there a clock that I can see that I don't get carried away? Okay. Uh, I wasn't always a preacher. I, uh, I went to a, a Pentecostal holiness church when I was a little boy. Until I got old enough they couldn't make me go anymore. Because in that church, uh, everything was very legalism. I mean, a few... Men wore short sleeves, you're going to hell. If 
women put on makeup, you're going to hell. I mean, everything was hell. I mean, no, hell is not good news. Yeah, I never heard the gospel of the good news. Everybody was sad. Everybody was always coming up and bawling and squalling and all this kind of stuff. And finally, when I got up old enough to bail out, well, in fact, every next generation bailed out. Even the preacher's kid backslid, you know, because there was no Jesus. I never really heard the love of Jesus until I was 30 years old. Now, I always kind of had a heart for Jesus. I learned in Sunday school and everything. I, but I, once I got off track and I got out there, I thought, uh-oh, I'm done because everything I'm doing, I'm going to hell and everything. And every Christian I'd ever met reinforced that. You're going to hell. <laughs> well, I didn't need a preacher to tell me that. I knew exactly where I was headed, but I just chose to go my rebellious way. And my mama... She sicked every preacher on me in six counties trying to get me ironed out, you know, and I, I could spot a preacher across the street. And most of them were kind of heavy set guys, and they'd always get out of their car and they'd, I'd, oh God, here comes another preacher, you know. So I go to the I go to my icebox and get me a beer. I, that's how much rebellion I had in me. I just opened up the door drinking a beer, you know, because I knew what they were coming for. And uh, so anyway, then as most of us guys I never talked religion with my brothers. I didn't know. We never discussed it because we all come out of that same herd. And uh, I didn't know that God had been dealing with my brothers. And God had been really pursuing me from the time I was about 24 until the night that I got born again in 1980. And uh, I'd go down to the river there in Harrisburg, and I'd throw dope in the river. Throw, there was no telling how many whiskey balls were floating around out in the Pacific Ocean. So I'd go down there under conviction, God just wooing me and drawing me and everything. And, and I wanted to. I'd make him promises, tomorrow, God, I will. Tomorrow, I'll, I'll, I'll get right with you tomorrow. And then tomorrow would come, and I'd put my macho back on, cowboy dumb, I call it. And, uh, and I'd put it off. Well, my dad had passed away just uh, from cancer just a few years before that. Then all of a sudden, my oldest brother, my hero, he... Uh, he called me on the phone, and he told me, and he starts crying. Well, I'd never seen my brothers cry, ever. I, we didn't cry. He just don't do that. He's crying. And uh, he said, Tom, i got to come and see you. i got to tell you something. Immediately, I thought he was dying. I thought he had cancer. And I thought, oh, my God, my, brother, my dad died, now my brother, you know. So he come over to my house. It was on a Monday night. And... Uh, I wouldn't look at him. I was in the kitchen. I was looking down like this. I was waiting for the big C word. He said, Tom, i got to tell you something. And he starts crying again. I said, man, I'm just tore up. And I go, what? And he goes, I got saved. I go, saved. Cancer. Saved. And I realized then what, what he was talking about. See, what happened was he was a big dog in Amway. And so he, this preacher over in Junction City had this pretty good-sized church, so he thought if he could get this preacher in his Amway, he could get his whole church in the Amway thing. <laughs> so the preacher was an evangelist that could get this post saved in about five minutes, right there. Anything that stands still, he's going to get it saved. So he said, yeah, come on over, Red. Bring, bring your stuff. So when he came over there, he told Red, he said, Red, you didn't come over here to get me in your Amway. You come over here to get saved. Let's pray. And he prayed and just got radically saved, radically saved. And then uh, that's what he come to tell me. And I knew this preacher, but I didn't know he was a preacher. I knew him as a farmer. 
I didn't even know he was, had a church. Because, I mean, I was a heathen. I didn't go anywhere near none of that kind of stuff. So then Red sent him to me and uh, after about three months. So I didn't do my beer thing when he came because I liked him. I knew him, like I say, as a farmer there in town, so I respected him. But he came and this first thing he said to me, he said, Tom, you need to get saved. And I said, well, John, I like drinking beer and raising hell. I figured I'd just calm the thing down, you know. And he goes, don't let that keep you out of heaven. He said, Jesus loves you just like you are. I had never heard that from a Christian. I'd always heard, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You need to quit drinking, chewing, cussing, chasing girls, and all that kind of stuff, and then come to my church. Well, if you could do that, you wouldn't need Jesus. I tried to get myself straightened out several times. I couldn't do it. I could do it for a week or two, but it wasn't until I made that decision to serve Jesus that my life changed. Now, I didn't get saved at church. I didn't get saved saying a sinner's prayer. I actually got saved on a bar stool drunker than $700. I'd been in a bar since 4.30 in the afternoon at 11.30 that night. I'm sitting there, and why they were still giving me alcohol, I don't have any idea, but they were. And a buddy of mine came in, he sat down right there. And I'm just looking straight ahead. And he started telling me all of his woes. He got fired, his wife left him, his dog died, and blah, wrecked his boss's truck and all this sort of stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, you need Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm sitting there thinking, God, I need you more than he does. <laughs> and I somehow I staggered out, got to my brother's house, woke him up, banging on his door at midnight. And now I'm crying. I'm a bawling. He opens the door. He goes, what do you want? <laughs> I want you to pray for me. I want to get saved. He goes, no. <laughs> I read, I want you to pray for me. I want to get saved. No, I ain't praying for you. He said, Tom, I can't. You have to. I can't pray it for you. You've got to do it. He said, I'll help you. And so he made me get on my knees. So I got down on my knees. He said, say, Jesus. I couldn't say it. I could physically feel hands strangling me. So I was fighting this strangling thing, and I was trying to pray what we call the sinner's prayer. And after, it seemed to me like a long time, but it wasn't that long, I squeaked out the name of Jesus. And when I said, Jesus, come into my heart, it was just like a dam on the inside of me blew up. I jumped up on my feet, and I was just as sober as I am right now. And that's been 37 years ago. It's clean. Now, I like the 12-step program. I mean, I appreciate what it does for people. But the one-step program from a repentant heart to the knees is a lot faster. And whom the sun sets free is what? Free. It's free indeed. Amen. Praise the Lord. I got to just brag on God a little bit more just before I get into what uh, message I have for you today. Uh, this is another thing that most places because I've been divorced. They won't allow me to speak because I've been divorced. And I understand that, and I don't have a problem with that, but I uh, was divorced because when I became a Christian, uh, the gal I was married to divorced me because I became a Christian because I had such a radical change, she thought I flipped out. She thought I lost my mind because I was a hell raiser, wild, crazy guy, and all of a sudden I come home trying to find a Bible and 
praying and wanting to go to church. Every time there was a church door open, I was wanting to be there, and it flipped her out, you know, so she divorced me. Well, I uh, newly saved, didn't know much, so I went to talk to the preacher. I said, hey, I, uh, I, don't have, I don't have any problem understanding how you go about finding a girlfriend in the world. You know, I never had too much of a problem back in that day, but now I'm a Christian. How do you go about it? Dating and stuff. He goes, Christians don't date. Oh, well, that takes care of that deal, you know. <laughs> and I said, now, can you explain just a little bit to me? He said, well, what did uh, God do with Adam when he knew he needed a, a girlfriend or a helpmate? And I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know anything at that time except I was saved. And I was wanting to honor God. I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, he put him to sleep. And while he was asleep, he took out a rib, made this woman perfect, and uh, woke him up. There she was. He didn't go dating all over the Garden of Eden, looking all over, hustling the Garden of Eden. Boom. It was just there. And I thought, this guy is a loony tune. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'll fast forward a little while. I'm asleep. I've never dated, never looked. I just, went, I just forgot it. The only thing I said was, God, I've been successful in most everything by your grace that I've applied myself to other than relationships. You know, I've been a failure in relationships. Now, if there's any of your girls that can match my weird ways, you bring them. Because I'm not looking, I'm not dating. You just... So I went about my business and everything, and then I was getting ready to go over and gather cattle on, on the other side of the mountain over there, and I wanted to take two horses with me. And so uh, uh, to kind of give one a break, trade them out. So I asked Susan, she's part of my church, been part of my church for about six years at that time, and I'd always admired her for the transformation of her life because she was a drug dealer and all kinds of stuff, you know, and then she got filled with the Holy Ghost and just changed her whole life, and I always admired her, but I'd never seen her romantically at all. Very independent. She'd never been married. She changed the motor out in her own truck and all this kind of stuff. I mean, she didn't really need a guy for much, you know, <laughs> stuff. So anyway... I asked her, would you ride my horse for me, help, help me get it legged up? She goes, sure. You know, so there's a bunch of us riding one day. All of a sudden, I heard the, the, the Spirit of God told me, I want you to admonish Susan, admonish her as a woman. And so I said, okay. So I said, Susan, I want to talk to you. And so she rode over by me, and I said, hey, I want to tell you that you don't have to prove yourself to me or any other man by being strong and independent and everything. If, if God wanted you to be like that, he would have made you a man. But he created you as a, as a lady. And I want you to think about that. And she said, well, thank you, and just started riding off. I'm just looking at her riding off. I said, she is a lady. Man, she is a lady. So the next Tuesday night, we have church after church at the Dairy Queen. We have Cowboy Church on Tuesday night. Then we have the overflow at the Dairy Queen. Used to. So we was all down there, and so I said, Susan, come here, because she's a real intense prayer warrior, intense prayer warrior. So I got something I want you to pray about. So she goes over and sit down with me, and she goes, what's that? What is it? And I go, I want you to go home and pray. And she had a son, young son, and ask your son if it's okay if you go out to dinner with me. And she just, like that. Well, anyway, to make a, a, a short story shorter, six weeks later, we're married. 
You know that one guy, that get her done guy? He didn't come up with that. <laughs> Just get her done. But what I want to share with you guys, especially you young people or other people that are looking or open, let God do it. Amen. Let God do it. When you get married, you marry at least two people. Some of you might get three or four, I don't know, but you marry at least two. You've got a spiritual person, then you've got a natural person. Like I say, some get more than that. But, <laughs> but if I was to make a list of a spiritual partner and a natural partner, I couldn't add anything to this lady right here. So I want to just encourage you. Let God be God. Now what I want to talk to us about today is something that I understand and you understand, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism, I know this is a, a spirit-filled church that understands the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or at least some degree of understanding it, speaking in tongues and such and so forth. Now, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I believe all that. But there's one thing that I think that we've missed somewhat in a lot of places about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Could you put up there Acts 1.8? But you shall receive, what does it say? You shall receive? Okay, and where do we put our emphasis most of the time when we're dealing with this? Tongues. Tongues. It didn't say you shall receive tongues when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Now, what is a witness? We've been, if you've been paying any attention to the news and uh, the uh, Kavanaugh's uh, thing and everything, they had all kinds of witnesses. And all a witness does is tell what you know or, or tell what you see. Amen. That's all it is. You don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to know all the seven roads to Romans and all that kind of stuff. All you need to know is what Jesus has done for me and you tell somebody. Amen. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to give you power to do that very thing. Amen. I was on a Wednesday night church. I'd been saved six months. And my pastor walked up to me and goes, Tom, have you ever been filled with the Holy Ghost? I said, no, sir. He said, well, you need it. I said, okay. And he said, Ask Jesus, Jesus, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. He said, you got it. I didn't feel nothing. Nothing. I didn't get heebie-jeebies. I didn't speak in tongues. Nothing. So he said, by faith, the same faith you got saved when you asked Jesus Christ into your life, it's the same faith that you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not about feelings. It's not about emotions. It's about faith. So I said, praise God, I got it. Left just like I came, basically I thought. And it was about two weeks later. I'm working in a plywood mill, feeding this thing called, feeding wood in this thing called a spreader. It was a four-man crew, and I'm the, the pacemaker. And I was praising the Lord, singing and worshiping God up there, and just doing my deal. And all of a sudden, I just stopped. I shut down. I thought, what in the world? And I, I thought I slipped a gear. I mean, I really did. You know, I was just out of the clear blue. I mean, I wasn't in a church service. I was up there working in a plywood mill with a bunch of heathens, and I'm up there, and all of a sudden, I'm speaking in tongues. Praise God. The rest of the day, I don't even know where it went. You know, I was just, man, I was just out there, you know. But uh, the key thing I want you to catch is right after this, in fact, I think it might have even been before, but I think it was right after this, I had an old friend. Uh, he was a select picker at a big uh, uh, orchard 
uh, Dietering's Orchards out south of Harrisburg out there. He had a little shack out there he stayed, and he did all the pruning and took care of the, the whole outfit. And uh, some, they found him. They don't know how long he had been there in a coma in his little cabin. And when they took him into the hospital, his whole stomach and the insides was just ate up with cancer. And somebody that didn't even like me because I became a Christian stopped me on the street and said, his name was Don Peterson. We, I always just called him Apples. And he said, you need to go see Apples. He's, he's uh, dying in the hospital. And I'd, uh, I'd witnessed to, to Don. I used to drink a lot of beer with him before I got saved and everything. And when I got saved, I was telling him, about, you need to get saved. He goes, well, I ain't done sinning yet, Tommy. And I said, my God, you're 75 years old. How much more sinning you need? You know, you need, you need to get saved. You know, you're kind of getting, getting on the other side here a little bit, you know. But he wouldn't do it at that time. So here's what I want you to catch. And this is the message I want to leave with you today. Is I was not a preacher. I was a plywood worker that was saved. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the power that I didn't even understand at that time. So I was still in my work clothes. I got off work and I went up there to the uh, hospital. I went to the I, uh, ICU unit and I said, I need to get in to see Don Peterson. And the nurse said, are you family? I said, no, ma'am, I'm not. But you got to let me in that room because if he dies, he's going to go to hell. He's my friend. I got to get in there so he can get saved. He's right on. He's, he's right there. She says, well, are you a preacher? And I goes, no, ma'am, or a minister. She said, are you a minister? I says, no, ma'am, I'm not. But in this case, yes, I am. You've got to let me in that room because I don't want my friend to go to hell. And she says, uh, well, let me, let me check. And about that time, a doctor come out. And so she went over and talked to him. And she come out and said, I guess they figured it ain't going to hurt anything because he's pretty well done. you know." And so they let me in. Now, what I want you to get across, or get a, before I got filled with the Holy Ghost, you could have put a gun to my head and marched me up to that nurse and say, you got to let me in there that my friend's going to go to hell and i got to get in there and get him saved. I just said, pull the trigger. I, ain't, I can't do that. You know, walk in. Who am I to walk in there and do something like that? The natural me can't do it, and the natural you can't do it. Your flesh will not let you do it in your mind. But when you've got the power of the Holy Ghost, that's what it's for, is to help you do the things that your flesh won't do. That, they let me in there. And I'd never seen anybody in that kind of condition before. I mean, I was just totally. And then all of a sudden, he opened his eyes. He'd been in a coma for days and days. When I walked in, I just told him, I said, uh, Don, I said, I didn't come to visit. I come for you to get saved. Amen. I said, you're right on eternity. Jesus wants you in heaven. I want you in heaven with me. Amen. And I said, and he had all these tubes. that. Were, in fact, I told him, you look like a carburetor. I said, I didn't know what to say. You know. <laughs> But I wasn't polished. I wasn't, I wasn't any. But I didn't want I told him, I said, you look like a carburetor, man. But he, had, but he couldn't talk because he had this thing down his throat. But I said, take me by the hands, and I'm going to pray. If you agree, you squeeze my hands. So I started praying the sinner's prayer, and he's a squeezer. You know, and praise God, I got done. And, and I didn't know anything about faith. You know, praying a prayer of faith, I didn't know none of that stuff. I just prayed a token Christian prayer, you know, God do something or whatever. You know, now that, that was on a Monday. So my brothers and I, we uh, got a call to go up and pray for somebody at the hospital on Wednesday. So we went up there, and I said, hey, I'm going to go up there and check on old Don and see how he's doing. So I went up to ICU, and I said, I'd like to see Don Peterson. They said, well, he's gone. I thought, praise God. 
He's made it. He's in heaven. Hallelujah. He said, he's down in room uh, 357. <laughs> I said, what? Yeah, he's down in room 357. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So I go down to room 357. I walk in. He goes, hello, Tommy. Setting up in bed. I mean, here a guy two days ago had tubes in which direction. Tell me that God is not powerful. Tell me that it's not about me. Tell me it's not about you. Tell It's about the one living in you that's trying to make his way out. See, this is something that I want us to learn. The Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome the flesh, to overcome the mind. We sing that song tonight. It was really amazing when I was here uh, Wednesday night. Awesome meeting Wednesday night with the team that was here. I, uh, I knew I was going to be speaking, so I asked Sarah, could you put uh, the enemy camp on uh, the, your song list, going to the enemy camp? Yeah. I'll come to find out uh, Mike had already had it on the list. I thought, praise God, we're on the same team. But we sing that song. I go to the enemy camp, take back what he stole from me. See, most of us don't know where the enemy camp is. How can you go get back what stole from if you don't know where the camp is? Well, I want to tell you today where the enemy camp is. It's right between our ears. Right between our ears. That's where the enemy camps. It's in your mind. There's a battle going on. Who controls your mind? Your mind is going to decide if the spirit gets control or if the flesh gets to control. See, before you got born again... Your soul and your flesh were dating real tight. They were dating. They liked each other. But all of a sudden, this new guy came on the scene called the Holy Spirit. Moved in when you got saved. Now he said, I'm going to win the affections of this soul. And so there's a thing going on, a courtship between the flesh and the spirit is who is going to get the soul to walk with them. And this is called the renewing of our mind. And the enemy doesn't care about us coming in here to church. He doesn't care how happy we get. He doesn't care what we do in here. He just don't want us to take it out these doors. He don't want us taking it out these doors. And we have to understand why we are here. See, when we got saved... In fact, just in case, if you're not saved, I'm not assuming everybody in this room is saved just because it's a Sunday morning here on this, this, this deal. Let's take care of that. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Jesus I, do believe I do believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross. And God raised you from the dead. I was a sinner. And I thank you for forgiving me. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Savior. For with my mouth, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for saving me today in Jesus' name. Did anyone pray that? Did they never prayed that in a public place, a public setting? Right here? You, you never prayed that? Praise God, your name just got written in the Lamb's Book of Life, man. Woo! Come on. Now, I want to tell you what happened, right? I'm going to tell you just what happened, just like that. Boom. You become the righteousness of God in Christ. When you say, Jesus, 
There was a spiritual conception happened in her right now. When a woman first gets pregnant, you can't see anything. But give it just a little bit of time, there's going to be some signs that there, there, was, a, there was a conception happen. See, when you say Jesus come into my heart, because before he moves in, we're spiritually dead. Has anybody ever tried to read the Bible before you got born again? I mean, I tried that, and I was like reading the Wall Street Journal. I couldn't make a lick. You know, in fact, I had a buddy tried to read it one time. I, was, I got him under conviction. He opened it up and said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And if your hand, hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He just slammed the book down. That's it for me. But what happens is when you say, Jesus, come into my heart, the Spirit of God comes and connects with that human spirit, and there is new life started right then. That is what they call getting born again. It's that spirit that's coming alive in you and alive. And also, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Now, I think God had this all orchestrated. Because if that was it, if that was the purpose for Jesus coming, dying on the cross, going into hell and combat into hell, defeating the devil and, and everything else with it, bringing the keys of death and hell out and giving them to us, if that was the purpose... And that was it. He would just take her to heaven right now. We'd all have been to heaven if that was it. But just getting saved is not it. He left us here full of the Holy Ghost because he came, he died, and Jesus himself was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he said, now I'm going to go and make a place for you, make a room or a mansion or whatever you want to call it for you, then I'm coming back. But he left us here in his stead. He said, now I'm going to send someone to you who's just like me. It's going to be just like me. And he's going to teach you all things and lead you into all things, the Holy Spirit. That's why we receive him as we ask him to come in. But it's not to receive the Holy Spirit to come up and shake and bake and flop and drop and all that kind of stuff. It's to come. The Holy Spirit is to come to give us the ability and the power to be just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Now, how did Jesus roll? I'm not anywhere near my notes, so just trust. I like it when God kind of preaches and not my notes, so to say. So we are to be just like Jesus. See, one of the things that we have, I wanted to share with you some things that I've learned. The, the Bible says in Mark, uh, I think it's uh, 7.13, that the traditions of men uh, make the word of God of no power, of uh, null effect. Traditions of men. I want to give you some traditions of men. You check this out. How many uh, people bow your head and pray when you pray? Jesus never did that. Every time Jesus prayed, he lifted up his eyes. The Bible says, lift up your eyes to where your help comes from. And so Now, there's nothing wrong. Now, I want you to catch me. There's nothing wrong with bowing your head. Nothing wrong with that. But Jesus didn't do it. Do you know Jesus never anointed anybody with oil? Now, there's nothing wrong with anointing with oil. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus didn't do it. Did you know Jesus never prayed for anybody? Other than praying for the body of Christ that we would be one, love each other, and stuff like that. But he never prayed for the sick. See, I've dumped gallons of oil on people. There's nothing wrong with it. But Jesus didn't do it. How many think he was a pretty effective preacher? 
You know one other thing? Jesus didn't have a worship team following him around Jerusalem, getting the atmosphere just right before he could do any healing. There's nothing wrong with worship. I'm a worship leader. I love worship. But I can't use worship as a crutch. I can't use worship as a manipulation trying to get God to come into this house and to do something. The minute you walked in this house, God's in the house. He's in the house. We don't have to call God down. we got to let God out. That's what we have to do if we're going to do what Jesus did. What did he say? To, what was his command for us to do? <laughs> Go. Put up there uh, Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority. What, what, you've been taught well. What does all mean? All. It means all. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ahead to 19. There's the biggest word that we've overlooked in the church right there. See, when the people came and they got filled with the Holy Spirit there uh, on the day of Pentecost, they didn't start going to church. They went out to the people. They went. So we come get filled with the Holy Ghost, and we stay in the church and shake and, and flop and whatever. But we don't go out there. That word go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then go one more. Could you put up uh, 20? And it basically said, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. See, what we do, we come, we get filled, we get excited, and that's good. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is, in the Walmart. What are you going to do in the Walmart? See, you can't have a worship team in the Walmart with you. You see somebody, I want to share with you something. You'll think it's funny, but it's also very true. Jesus wasn't really a, a whole lot spiritual. He was just really practical. He said he went around doing good, going to the Walmart, market of choice or whatever, went doing good. Healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil. So we know about the, what they call the word of knowledge when all of a sudden God just gives you a picture and somebody you see they got cancer or they got this or they got that. Well, we learned a word up in Portland and it's called a word of obvious. If you see somebody with a cane or a crutch, you don't have to have a big download from heaven that the brother needs prayer. That's just a word of obvious. But what are you going to do? See, the Bible, Jesus tells us in his famous prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, is there anybody gimping along with a cane in heaven? Is there anybody in a wheelchair in heaven? Is there anybody sick in heaven? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, he has empowered us in his stead to go, and he said, believers, how many are believers? Shall lay hands on the sick, and they may be recovered? He said, they shall recover. Now, here's the deal. God needed a body. He needed a body to come into the human existence. That's where Jesus Christ came.
God Almighty in the flesh to move around among us. When Jesus came, he came totally as a man. He did not come as God. I want you to catch that. He left all of his royalty, all of the supernatural stuff in heaven, and came in the earth, did everything. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn everything just as a human being did. Because had he come in any way, shape, or form as God and exerted his power as God before the appointed time, he would have disqualified himself for the sacrifice that had to be. It had to be because man brought sin in the world, and man had to take sin out. Adam brought it in. Jesus took it out. Now, what I want you to catch is immediately when Jesus was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, immediately, the Bible says, the Spirit led him out into the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. The first, I think there was three temptations or four, without looking at it real quick, I know there's at least three or four, but there was two temptations that the devil was challenging his identity. If you are the son of God. See, he didn't know. The devil's not nearly as sharp as we think he is. He didn't know. Do you realize that he couldn't find Jesus when he was born? But three wise men did. Three wise men found him. The devil couldn't find him. He killed a whole bunch of boys trying to Make sure he didn't make it on the scene. He's always done it. So he's not nearly as sharp as he is, but he was challenging his identity. If you are the Son of God, make these rocks into bread. If Jesus would have bit, he would have canceled himself out. But he didn't do it. See? The other one, if you are the Son of God, cast yourself down from the pinnacles of the temple and such and so forth. Seeing. See, and it's the same thing with us. The devil wants your identity. He don't want you to identify as a son of God. He don't care if you identify as a member of uh, Word of Victory or identify as a Christian. He don't want you to identify the power that's living in you. The power that's living in you. Put up there Romans 8, uh, 29. For who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. That be conformed means to be shaped, molded into the image of his son. This is the destiny that the Holy Spirit has came uh, and his purpose is to make us just exactly like Jesus. Now, we, oh, we can't do that. Yes, we can. We can because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you and me. The same spirit. Now, we have to understand that Jesus said it himself, I can do nothing of my own, but the Father in me doing the works. So all I can say, Jesus, or God needed a body. So he came in the form of Jesus Christ and fulfilled his destiny and destination on the earth, took sin upon himself, set us totally free, declaring us kings and priests under the most high God. That's who you are. Not will be, you are now. The devil don't want you to know that. Right. Have you ever seen a, a king or, or, or a king's kid just kicking their lips in the dirt, going along all bummed out about life and everything? You don't see that. See, we're to array ourselves as sons of the living God, carry on our business as sons of the living God. We're not servants. We're sons that serve. There's a big difference. 
Okay, when Jesus died and he went into the heavens, he needed a body to come back to live in. And who was that? When he came back in the spirit, he needed a body to get around. See, the only Jesus people are going to see is in you and me. I mean, some, I mean, he does manifest himself naturally to some people. I've never seen him. Physically, I've seen him in a vision, but I've never had him just show up in my room and talk to me and everything. Now, I've been wanting that and everything, but I, I've never experienced that. But he needs a body. That's why he comes and infills us. Now, I'm going to give you the power to heal. I'm going to give you the power to cast out devils. I'm going to give you the power to lay your hands on the sick. He didn't say pray for them. He said lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, the faith is, do you believe that? See, it's not me. It's just my hands. He needs some hands and some feet and a mouth. That's all the Holy Ghost needs is some hands, feet, and a mouth. And he'll do the rest. Now, I was only saved for not very long when I ran into my first demon, devil. And it was in my aunt. And I went down to California to see her. And I, she was my favorite aunt, matter of fact. I had nine of them, but she was my favorite, and uh, her name was Einie. And I, I was sitting at her uh, coffee table having a cup of coffee on the morning. I said, Aunt Einie, did you ever get uh, born again? No, I can't. I said, what do you mean you can't? I can't. She said, I went to the altar a hundred times trying to get saved, and when I get there, I can't say nothing. And I said, what do you mean you can't say something? She said, I just can't speak. And I said, devil, in the name of Jesus, you turn her tongue loose now. I said, let's pray. She just prayed the sinner's prayer, got born again, baptized and everything. Mm -hmm. But just boom. See, because the authority back in 28, all authority has been given you and I. All authority. Now, the devil don't want you to know that. And the Lord gave me a, a, a really good visual. I, I've been an athlete all my life. Football was my game back when I was young in high school and college and stuff. I was watching the last part of the Monday night football game, and there was a couple guys out there on the Kansas City Chiefs and the Patriots that were 360, 70-pound linemen, huge, powerful men. Then everybody on the field is powerful. Even the running backs and are powerful guys and out there doing their deal. And uh, I looked, watching the game, here's a guy out there, probably 175 pounds, running around with a striped shirt and a whistle. <laughs> Every time he blew the whistle, all those big, mighty, powerful men stopped. And he declared what was illegal. Why? He has authority. They got power. He's got the authority. See, the devil has some kind, some power, but he has no authority. So when you declare something illegal, you blow your whistle. <laughs> Headache? Nope. You're leaving. You're illegal. You're not trespassing. That's, you're guilty of trespass. You go. Now, even the coaches are subject to that man that has authority. Now, this lady right here, she doesn't know it. But she has the same authority that Jesus Christ had on the earth immediately when he moved in. You know how I know that? I know that because you're taking a 
say, a, a, a police academy. They have different ranks, just like the military. You take a guy that has went through all of these deals, and he's, I don't want the, oh, I'll just take the military, a, a private. So when he's on the battlefield, he has the same authority. Well, let me take that back. Use the, the uh, police. A guy going through his deal, but it's his first day out on the street, the first day on the job. I don't know what his rank is, but he's not a lieutenant or whatever they call him in the higher ranks. But out on the, when he walks out the door, he has the same authority as the head honcho in the, in the precinct. The same authority. Now, he don't have the same position inside the situation, but out on the streets, he has the same authority backing him up. So this lady right here can tell the devil under my feet, and I'm going to keep you under my feet, and he will obey her if we believe. See, we don't talk to the devil and negotiate and everything. We command him. Sickness, you go. Depression, you go go and you go now. We don't tolerate things in the temple of God. Can someone say amen with it? Now, the authority is given to us. Put up there uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and, uh, 15, uh, through 15. And we've been taught this. I want to teach you some stuff, a little bit about this. He himself Gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Now, most of us uh, understand who they are. It generally is people. People of different, um, uh, uh, word we use, anointings. But there is no such thing as anointings in the Bible. It talks about anointing, singular. Say, how many know that Jesus was an apostle. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was an evangelist. Jesus was a pastor. Jesus was a teacher. So, but he gave these offices, to put up there 12 and going down, for the equipping of the saints. That's what he gave the apostles, prophets, all this. It's for the equipping of us that we for the edifying or for equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. It's not up to the pastor. It's not up to the prophets. It's not up to the apostles to do the working of the ministry. Right. See, what happens if there's no apostle comes through here for five years? What happens if there's no evangelist comes through for five years? What happens if there's no teacher comes through? What are you going to do? See, when you've been equipped, you'll carry on. Because you are going to do it. You're going to lay hands on the sick. You're going to lead people to Jesus. You're going to build the kingdom. You're going to do it. That's what this is for, is to teach us how to operate in the ministry. Can somebody say amen? amen. Everyone, put up there uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Every one of you in here right now is a minister. Oh, not me. Yes, you are. According to the Bible, you right now are a minister. And so somebody say amen. amen. How many believe that? Amen. Okay, I want to show you. Now, I love this scripture the first time I read it. In fact, I read this over and over again because like I say, I had a terrible background. I mean, I was a heathen. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This lady right here is a new creation. Praise God. Never been one like her, never will be nothing. Follow her. She's a new creation. Old things. Say old things. Old thought patterns, like I say, the enemy camp canceled out. All things, uh, behold, old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Okay, go ahead. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself. Reconciled means we've been brought back together. Sin had us separated. Jesus took the sin thing out, and we have been brought back as if we had never, ever sinned. In God's eyes, he sees us as if we have never, ever sinned. I thought, praise God, because I was a sinner. I mean, I, I told some people I even invented some sin back when in my days. You know. But when I found out that was gone, I said, hallelujah. Reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given. Say given. given. He has given who? Us. Now, he didn't say I've given apostles, prophets, teachers, stuff. He has given us. The what? Ministry. Of what? Reconciliation. There we go. Now, how do you operate in the, in the ministry of reconciliation? Now, what I did with this uh, sister here just a minute ago, I reconciled her spirit to God. Okay? I reconciled her spirit to God. Now, if this brother had a, a disease or whatever, and I come down and I laid my hands on him in the name of Jesus, and he uh, got healed. Or a week later, he calls me, I got healed. I got healed. What did I reconcile? I brought the reconciliation of his body back into wholeness to God's standard. If someone's got a devil or got depression or oppression, all that, and you cast it out and you take care of it, you just reconciled their soul back to God in health and everything. Spirit, soul, and body. This is what we are to do as people is reconcile sinners back to a God who loves them. Like I said before, telling people they're going to go to hell is not good news. Tell them about Jesus and how much he loves them as they are and allow him. There's an old saying that I've used, Lord, I'll catch the fish, but you clean them. And that's actually a little bit of truth there. You know, we don't go pointing out people's sin to them. We don't go pointing out their wrong to them. We go out pointing out how much the love of God is there for them, and he will rescue them. He will come and be your friend. He paid the price for you that you don't have to pay the price. See, we get people saved a lot of times, and we want to put them back under the law. The lady was saved by grace. It's a free gift. Now, the law will say, now, you've got to do this, 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 this. You've got to do all these do, 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 you know. If you don't, it's going to go bad with you. I mean, no, that's not the, the covenant that we live under. See, that was the covenant of don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Do you know every sinner in the world knows it? Because God has written his laws in the heart of every human being on the earth. They just do like I did. I just choose to go do my own thing. But I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. I didn't have to have someone preaching on me. So, authority and power to become ministers of reconciliation. Say this, I am a minister, am a minister of, reconciliation. of reconciliation. And I want to tell you a sad statistic. Only 5%, I'm hoping and I'm believing it's growing, but 
of all professing born-again people have ever led anybody to Jesus one-on-one. They want the preacher to do it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not able. I'm not, oh, I can't do that. When you receive the power of the Holy Ghost with understanding, yes, you can. All you have to do is be a witness of what Jesus done for you, and he will do it for you, brother. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and roll it. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world. Notice that he said the world, not just Christians. Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, not charging your sin against you. Don't even think about it. If God's not going, that's one thing I love about God. He's got one weakness. Everybody thinks he's all powerful and all this. He's got one weakness, big one. And I thank God he's got it, his memory. Can't remember nothing. Praise God. Not remembering or imputing their trespasses to them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. See, we're not to come to church just to come to church and pay our tithe and sing some songs to God and then go about our way and don't even think about it until Wednesday night or or whatever. That's, we're supposed to live this life on the street. Live this life on the job. Live this life. Has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Go ahead. Now then, we are not will be, not in heaven, now. Next time you fill out an application, they want to know what your occupation is, it's right down there, ambassador. That'll open the doors to get a share with somebody. They will what, what, what kind of ambassador are you? Well, I'm an ambassador of Christ. Are you saved? Let's get you saved, brother. You know, I'll tell you what you can do with these telemarketers. Praise God. I'm so glad you called me. You need Jesus. Let's pray right here. God will save you right on the phone. You won't have to do this phony junk. He'll change your life. They'll, they'll put you on the blacklist right away. They won't call you back. Has anybody ever been bothered with a Jehovah Witness? I, they, they're getting smarter nowadays. They bring a kid with them, you know, so you don't talk ugly to them in front of the kid. Well, I recognized what, what was going on, so I went and got my guitar. And uh, so here they come as an older fella and a young guy. So they opened the door, and I opened the door to them. And they, I was standing with my guitar, and, they, and uh, they started to give me the deal. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are, are you Christians? Oh, yeah. I said, well, praise God, so am I. Come on in, let's worship Jesus a little bit. Boom, gone. Got in the car, gone. Never been back. I wasn't rude. I didn't talk ugly to them. I just said, hey, if you are what you're doing, let's just worship a little while. Ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador doesn't have an opinion. Your opinion don't mean anything. I want you to catch this. Our ambassadors don't go wherever they're representing, walk in there and say, well, I think this. I think we ought to do this. I think we ought to do that. Or we shouldn't do this. They don't do that. When our ambassadors go in there and say, Mr. Trump says this. That's not my opinion. That's my position. See, we don't have opinions. We have a, a position. What is your position? Right here. This is my position. What, do you, what, is, what is your opinion on homosexuality? I don't have an opinion. I got a position. You can find it right here in the book of Romans. You can find it right here in the, that's my position on it. Well, is it wrong? That's not me to judge if it's wrong. This right here judges if it's right or wrong. I just have a position of this. If you want to know my position, read the book. This is my book. I'm an ambassador for Christ. 
I go in and I share what Jesus has shared to the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whomsoever believeth on him will not perish but have everlasting life. God will heal you. God will bless you. God will prosper you. This is our ambassadorship. One thing I want you to know, too, my brother shared this with me. He was over in uh, Haiti, and Haiti's the poorest place on the Western Hemisphere, and uh, one spot there was this huge mansion, manicured, flowers, lawns, everything, just beautiful. And big, high, uh, those wrought iron gates around it, fence around it. And he goes, who in the world lives there? And they goes, well, that's the uh, United States Embassy, American Embassy. That's where the ambassador stays. So all around him was poverty. I mean, the poorest of the poor. But in there, there was luxury. See, he didn't get his needs met from Haiti. He didn't get his needs met from Haiti. He got his needs met from the United States of America. If he wanted New York steaks, he just called, they shipped them, flew them in. See, we come into the kingdom of God, and we expect the world to meet our needs. We don't get our needs met by the world system. We get our needs met by the one that we represent. The one that we are the ambassador, he is the one that will supply. Hallelujah. As ambassadors for Christ, there's another thing that I want you to catch. Every diplomat, there is a, there's a law in the land that's called diplomatic immunity. Diplomatic immunity. You're not subject to the laws of that country as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. They cannot come into your embassy and do anything legally. Or who are they going to answer to? Mr. Trump. They're going to answer to Mr. Trump if they violate that embassy deal. The devil cannot come in and invade this embassy. The Bible says that this body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's where he resides. He cannot come in there legally and do anything unless we let him in by wrong thinking, wrong talking, and wrong speaking. Then we give him permission to come in and do his destructive work. But we can declare ourselves diplomatic immunity to the works of the devil and the works of the enemy because we have all authority, all power over him if we know it and believe it. So God, we're pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You cannot get any more righteous she can't get any, reading the Bible seven days a week, fasting three or four days a week, tithing jillions of dollars will not make her any more righteous than she is right now. Five minutes ago, wasn't saved, now she is saved. Was not a daughter, but now she is a daughter of the king. See, we can't perform to try to get God to do what he's already done. Most of us spend most of our times praying for things that God has already done or he's already commissioned us to do. You don't have to pray. Lord, is it your will that I go pray for this brother? You don't have to pray that. It is his will. Just go do it. I've only been turned down once. You know, when I see somebody, I said, would you mind if I pray for you? I see you got some problems. Only one time. I think Susan's only had one turned down. But that's where the action is. And, I wanted to, and I'm not trying to 
to toot our horn. I'm trying to encourage you to step out in faith and believe that that same God, that same Holy Spirit that was living in Jesus is living in me, wanting to do the same things. You know, he said, it. you know, the things I do, you shall do, and even greater things you shall do if you believe. Is there, is there a, uh, anybody ever pondered that greater things? I mean, God, he raised a guy from the dead, been dead four days, and um, all this stuff he did, changed water. You know, he, his first miracle, when he got baptized in the Holy Ghost, he changed a bunch of water into wine. Now, think about that. Was that a need? The guys were already toasted anyway. They drunk, they drunk everything in the house. But he made some kicking stuff. You know, oh, that was just grape juice. There wasn't no grape juice. I was a wine oil. I could tell wine, no grape juice, it ain't wine. Them boys wanted wine, and he gave them the best. It was a luxury miracle. And people said, well, you shouldn't pray for, you know, houses and stuff. Why not? If God's first miracle was a luxury miracle, it wasn't a need. They didn't need it. They weren't desperate and everything. It was a luxury miracle. That's how good God is. He wants us to be blessed and, and, and prosper. Can you say Amen. Put up there, First uh, Corinthians six seventeen. Now this is what I want us to catch. Well, before I lose my thought there, I'll I'll get to this. Has there anybody here ever uh, anointed hankies? Does this church anoint hankies and stuff and send them out for sick people? Have you, have you done that here in this church? See, the Lord revealed to me He's talking about greater works than Jesus did. We can do. I thought, man, I just don't get that. And the Lord brought that to my mind because we've sent a lot of hankies out a lot. We've sent them to Africa, and everyone got great reports back, miracles and healings. He said, that's a greater work. There's no recorded place that Jesus ever anointed a cloth or sent a cloth out or nothing. Paul did. In Acts 19, you can find it, aprons and handkerchiefs and stuff. He sent out from his body, and people were healed and everything. Jesus never did it. So that is a greater work. I thought, wow. I never thought of that before. But he who is joined to the Lord, how many is joined to the Lord? Amen. And what this is mean, if you go back and read in context, this is one thing I want to share with you too, that uh, whenever you're studying the Bible, ask yourself, who is speaking? Who are they speaking to? And when were they speaking? Ask yourself that. Who was speaking? Who were they speaking to? And when was it spoken? Was it before the cross or after the cross? Big difference. But they were talking, if you go back up in the scriptures before, they were talking about sexual immorality, being joined with a harlot and this and that and the other. And then below the scripture, it goes back into fleshly uh, relationships. But right in the middle of it, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That means as in the natural flesh, when there's a, a union and marriage, they become one flesh. When you become born again, you are one flesh with God Almighty. You are joined to the Lord. And the Bible said, let no one, when most marriage, I don't know if they did it last night in the marriage, but you know what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So it's the same thing here. What God has joined together, he chose to join himself together with us. Let no man put asunder. Now, no man can do that but you. See, we have a tendency to want to separate God from us. Well, God can do this, but I can't. No, but see, together, we can. Yeah. We sing a song. You might have heard it. 
There ain't nothing that can't be done by me and God. Ain't nobody going to come between me and God. He's the one I lean on when life gets hard, me and God. See, me and God, you don't separate yourself. Don't get this idea, I can't do it. I'm not qualified. You are qualified. You are qualified. You are anointed. Put up there uh, uh, 1 John 2.20. But you, who's you? <laughs> that's, point yourself, that's me. But you have an anointing. Now, I want you to see it didn't say anointings. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now, how does that work? You know all things. See, the, uh, when you got saved, when God came in and joined your spirit, your spirit person, the real you, is the one that knows all things. Your mind doesn't yet. That's why we do this renewing process to train your mind. But your spirit knows all things. That's why we want to operate out of the spirit and not our soulless realm. Put up there 27. Thank you. But the anointing, I want you to catch it again. There's just anointing, which you have received. Which you have, the anointing which you have received. What anointing have you received? The same anointing that was on Jesus Christ. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, work miracles, reconcile sinners. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the, uh, the same anointing teaches you concerning all things that is true, it is not a lie, and just as it has been taught to you, you will abide in him. So that anointing is the Holy Ghost that you have. And in, with the Holy Ghost, you have all of the gifts operating or available to you. You have all of the offices available to you. It's not a hierarchy of, well, I earned, I'm an apostle. You know, someone comes up and tells me they're an apostle. Well, this is the apostle Jim or whatever. He says, show me your scars. Show me your scars. That's what Paul said when they were challenging his apostleship. He showed him the scars he had for bearing up the name of Jesus. It says signs and wonders and miracles follow the apostles. Show me your signs. What's your track record on signs and miracles and wonders? Because everybody wants to be an apostle. Everybody wants to be a prophet. Everybody wants to be this and this and this. And that's not it. That's not it. I'd much rather be a son that serves than an apostle that just takes acclimates. Acclimate. I'd rather be a son that my father can trust. I know my son will meet that need. He will go. He will go fearlessly. He will do that. I want to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. I don't want to hear the other words. Why? Why did you hide your talent? Why did you bury your talent within instead of releasing it? You know the richest place in the world? The richest place in the world. I've had people say, well, probably the diamond mines in South Africa or the oil over in Saudi Arabia or somewhere. But the richest place in the world is the graveyard, the cemetery. That's the richest place because there's 
talents that have been buried that never was brought out. There are songs that in somebody's heart that was never brought out. There was poetry that somebody had condemned them or whatever. They took it to the grave with them. Inventions. Someone had an idea that they never shared it out, then it went to the grave with them. That could have changed the world. But we took it to the grave. We got the greatest treasure living on the inside of us that could ever possibly be known to mankind. The love of Almighty God that would take a sinner like me, a sinner like her, and a sinner like you guys and change the world. Change the world. You don't have to have schooling. I've never been to Bible college. I've never been to seminary, and I'm not against all that kind of stuff. I just got filled with the Holy Ghost and filled with the love of God and the desire to love people and the desire to see people saved. And when you start walking like that, and that's your desire, many people that you might not ever get a, a, a chance to uh, minister to, they will come to you. Amen. When I got saved, I had tremendous zeal, tremendous zeal, but zero wisdom. That's a dangerous deal. <laughs> see, I didn't realize it, but when my old buddies would see me coming, they were running as fast as they could go the other way. And they were gone, because they knew I was going to get them. So my mama called me in in her wisdom. She said, son, I want to tell you something. She said, uh, you take an old hound dog, starved to death, man, he's hungry. Take a big old chunk of meat out there. Man, he's hungry for it. And slug him in the head with it, and he'll run off and won't eat it. But she said, go out there and pull off just a little bit and feed it to him. Pull off a little bit more and feed it to him. Said pretty soon he'll eat the whole thing. She said, you're slugging him in the head. So I, all right. So then I changed my deal, you know, and I was complaining, see. Uh, and I said, Lord, you called me to be a fisherman, fisherman of men. Well, I've been fishing, I ain't catching nothing. Down on the river there in Harrisburg. He gave me a profound word. Change your bait. Well, duh. <laughs> I'm a fisherman. I know if they're not biting this, put something else out there. So these are some things, but we want to be fishermen of men. Fishermen of men. And the thing about I want you to catch is have the confidence, I can get it done. I can get it done. Through Christ, who strengthens me. Nothing is impossible with me. But what I want to get back to is your identity. Who do you say you are? Who do you say you are? Because as a man thinketh, so is he. As a man thinketh, so is he. When I go on my prayer walks, I pray for what I'm praying. Then I start declaring, Tom, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You can do all things. There's no limits to you. I can raise the dead. I'm a rich man. I can heal the sick. I will heal the sick. I will do these things. I'm anointed of God to be his representative. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm this, I'm that. I start talking to myself. I, and pretty soon you start doing that, you find yourself, your, your pace is picking up. You start, you start believing this stuff. You start talking to yourself, believing this stuff, and all of a sudden things change. You'll get a call like we got here a few months ago. Some friends, uh, people in our church, they said, hey, there's a friend of ours up in the hospital. She's dying. They, uh, they say she'll be dead by the end of the week. She'll never get out of the hospital. 
His lungs is gone. Would you go pray for her? So I said, yeah, sure. Well, something happened. I couldn't go, so Susan went the first time. And, and so then a couple of days later, I, I went myself. Then we, I think we went together one time, too. But anyway, when I went in there, and she operates the same way I do. We're just in agreement. I come in there. Her name was Dorothy. I said, Dorothy, now I didn't come up here to pray for you. I said, I'm the pastor of the Cowboy Church. I didn't come up here to pray. I come up here for you to get healed. I'm going to lay my hands on you. God's going to heal you. And you're going to come and give a testimony at my Cowboy Church of what God has done for you. Is that a deal? Amen. And she's laying there. I mean, when you first seen her, I thought the doctors have diagnosed her correctly. She ain't going to leave this place. I mean, she's just all ganned up bad, looked bad. And she said, yeah. So I just laid my hand on her. I said, Lord, according to your word, let it be done. You said the believers, I'm one, can lay hands on her. She will recover. Praise God, it's done. I'll see you later. Walked out. And then about a month, who come walking into Cowboy Church? Dorothy. Dragging a little oxygen tank with her, but she came. Who's been coming back ever since? That was supposed to have never left the hospital. And if I would have let my mind take over, I would have agreed with them. See, when you go into those situations, you can't let what you see dictate to you what's going to happen. Because, see, if you go by what you see, you're going back into that carnal mind, the natural mind that's at war against God. You've got to decide the way it's going to be and not let your eyes or what they say or anything dictate nothing to you. You are the authority. You tell sickness, you tell death, you tell this, what it's going to do in the name of Jesus. Then you're done. Then he goes in and does the work. Then what do you do? Give him the glory. Give him the praise. Now, in my closing moments here, I just want to encourage you. See, I know both, both ways of Pentecost. I know the real deal, and I know the counterfeit. And I want you to always be mindful that the devil is a counterfeiter. He can't create any. He counterfeits. See, and, and there's a lot of counterfeit things going on in the world today from the pulpits that you've got to be wise to. Now, when I was just first, uh, like I say, I used to get in trouble a lot. You know, I was known around to, to be not somebody to mess with back in my younger, well, B.C., before Christ type deal, see, so... I had this in me that God was working me out of that and everything, but there was, we had this evangelist or whoever he was came to my local church, and he was a friend of my pastor. And so they was having a prayer deal, and I went up there, but I don't know what I went up there for. So the guy starts praying for me, but he got me, he starts putting his hand on my head. And so I'm just standing there, you know, and then all of a sudden he, you know, everybody else was falling on the floor and doing this sort of stuff. I was just standing there. Then all of a sudden he gets to pushing on me, trying to push me down. I thought, sucker, I'm going to knock you out. If you, if you keep pushing on me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop you, you know. Then I'm sitting there, I can't do that to my pastor's friend, you know. And so I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to do, you know. And so I thought, well, I'm, I better just flop, you know, or I'm going to do something that's going to, won't be sanctified. So I did. I did a courtesy drop, you know. <laughs> now I'm laying there and I says, God, if you don't kill me for what I just did. I'll never fake anything the rest of my life. If you spare my life this time, Lord, I'll... So I didn't. 
And I've been around, I mean, I'm a Pentecostal. I mean, I don't make no bones about it. I'm a Pentecostal. I believe in all of it. I shout and run and dance, praise God. But I never did ever fall under the Holy Spirit. Now, and I'm not against it. I wasn't against it, you know. But I knew me, I faked it. So I knew there was other people faking it. Because I've seen this one guy looking back to make sure there was somebody there. So I told, I told God in my church, if you want to knock them down, you catch them. It gets rid of that fakey stuff. Because there ain't nobody going to, without knowing somebody's going to catch them. Unless God, I've had people hit the floor just because smack. You want oh my God. And they get a hallelujah. It doesn't hurt a bit. But I went 20 some odd years. Never experienced it. I wasn't fighting it or resisting it. I just never experienced it. So I'm down and I'm ministering at a Native American Holy Ghost conference. We did some worship and stuff there. And Geronimo's great-grandson was preaching. I was sitting up in the front row, just about where Juan is. And he was preaching about the Joshua anointing, the taking ground, going and taking over. And he said, anybody want this anointing, come up here. Well, I just jumped and took off. Well, there's... I don't know how she beat me, but it was kind of a, a, a I'll say, a great large woman <laughs> passed me. And all of a sudden, she went that away. I went, what in the world? And I had my Bible, I had my cowboy hat on, I had my Bible in this arm, and I had my hand stuck in the air. That old Indian slapped my hand, and my head, it was a concrete floor, it wasn't carpet, my head bounced off of that floor, crushed my whole cowboy hat in. About that time, boom, about a 200-pound lady hit right on top of my chest, boom. <laughs> Somebody else hit down here, boom, there's people. And we're all piled up like cordwood on the floor. <laughs> there weren't no catchers. That was the farthest thing from my mind of getting slain in the spirit. All that old Indian did was slap my hand, and I mean, lights out now. And I was laying there, and God said, now you know the real deal. Now you know the real. <laughs> you know, and it was set up for my best friend. We packed together, rode together for 30-something years. He was there at that meeting. And when he seen that happen to me, he knew that God was real because he knew I wasn't going to do any of this religious stuff. He got, he got saved and got his life right till the time, you know, he went home. So there is a real deal. God wants it to be a real deal here, and he wants you to be the real deal. Yeah, you can lay hands on people in the Walmart. Be looking for words of obvious. Be bold. Amen. Father, I praise you for just the privilege of getting to be with my family. Here, Lord, I pray, God, something spoken will encourage and strengthen them to get out and to do the works of the kingdom, to show the people, be doers of the word, not just hearers only, and that, God, that we can impact this whole region, the state of Oregon, the nation, and the world. And, God, I pray that this place will have a major problem, hit them and hit them soon, that they won't have enough room for people to get in this place. I pray that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. God, you added 3,000 to people when they went out on the streets after Pentecost. They went out among the people. You added 3,000 to them in one day. Lord, as this many people right here hit the streets, God, I pray that you will work through them, that, God, that you would anoint them for this moment in time, and, God, that they would sense a spirit of boldness that they haven't experienced so far and do what you said for us to do, and we'll give you praise. We'll give you thanks. And I also want to share, with, I'll build around here for a little while. If anybody needs any prayer, my wife and I, and I'm sure the elders or Rod and Amy and whoever would be more than glad to pray with you. And uh, we basically won't pray with you. We're just going to take care of whatever's wrong.
Whatever's wrong, we'll take care of it. Amen? Amen. Thank you again for allowing me to come and share. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this message. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage those listening from anywhere in Central Oregon to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for our regular services. We understand that many do not have a home church, and we can't emphasize enough the importance of connecting with a church family. We'd be honored to meet you and spend time with you praising God.